I'm Judge Bobby Baldock, and you're listening to the Tales from the Tenth. Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Tenth, a podcast about the rich history, culture, and contributions of the Tenth Circuit Courts. I'm your host, Leah Schwartz, a Wyoming lawyer and former Tenth Circuit law clerk. And I'm producer Tina Howell, the Emerging Technologies Librarian for the Tenth Circuit. On today's episode, we'll be hearing the story of the Byron White Courthouse in Denver, home to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit. An impressive building in its own right, listed on the National Register for Historic Places, the courthouse also serves as the backdrop for many of the tales on this podcast, making it the perfect subject for this first episode. And as we'll hear, the judges had to fight for this courthouse, knocking heads along the way not only with the General Services Administration, but also the post office. We are so fortunate to have Judge Bobby Baldock joining us today to share this story. Without further delay, here's Judge Bobby Baldock on the fight for the Byron White Courthouse. For those who've maybe never had a chance to visit the actual building, can you describe the physical space? Maybe maybe starting with where the building is located in Denver? Yes, the, the building takes up a whole city block. Its address is 1823 Stout Street. The construction of that building started in 1910, I believe it was, and finished in 1960. So that building is truly a rock. I mean, it's it's there and it's there to stay. The outside facade is the Roman-type columns. And let me read to you. T.J. O'Donnell said, This building belongs to the type of architect which might be called Roman, adopted in the practical, which has stood the test of time. It is stated that there are to be no more of them. I hope that this is not true, because I believe that this great nation of ours can afford to appeal to the imagination of its people, and that such structures as this arouse and prove a continuing stimulus to virtue. That's signed by T.J. O'Donnell, February the 21st, 1916. It also has a list, because it was a post office, of the uh, Pony Express riders. It is made out of marble, and it's Colorado marble, the same marble that was used, I believe, in the Lincoln Memorial. And it's beautiful. I remember as a law clerk going in, feeling a mix of awe and intimidation a little bit. What's the feeling you get, Judge, when you go into the building? The same every time I go into that building. I can say it's a marvelous building. It's a great home for the Tenth Circuit. And I take a great deal of, of pride in thanking the, the taxpayers and Congress for uh, giving us that home. But I, I do uh, Leah, I, I feel the intimidation and awe every time I go into that building. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> Judge, you mentioned that the building, I think, was constructed in 1910, and mm-hmm. it had to have stood out a little bit at that time. It, it stands out today, but even more so then. Why do you think the um, folks living in Denver in the early 1900s wanted to see a structure of this size and scale Um, and grandeur in the middle of downtown Denver. Denver was growing uh, leaps and bounds uh, because of the history of the minerals that were found there, uh, gold and silver. 
the growth of the city, they needed a post office. When they built that post office, it was by itself. There weren't the high, big buildings around it. And I mean, it stuck out and it was a beautiful post office because that's what it was. And it was downtown, centrally located, so that all the, the business people, mail was easily uh, retrieved. You just have to see the structure and be in it and around it to see the mass of the, of the, of the building, the facade. It's beautiful. So you mentioned it was first used as a post office with um, some other federal agencies um, also housed there. And then it was also a courthouse early on. And if I understand my facts right, I think the post office ended up assuming exclusive control of the building sometime in the mid-1960s. How how did that happen? Well, the district courthouse always stayed there in in the 60s. The Tenth Circuit moved out for whatever reason uh, we do not know. And it began to hold court in the Byron Rogers building, which was just across the street. But that's also where the Federal District Court of Colorado, where those courts met, so that when the Tenth Circuit had cases, like every five or six weeks, they had to do it in the courtrooms that the district courts used. And so it put the district court out of being able to to do their work in order for the Tenth Circuit to do its work. And when I came on the court, that's where uh, we, we actually held our hearings. And that was the beginning of the insistence that we as the Tenth Circuit did not have a home. We've been looking through some old Rocky Mountain News articles. One of the articles describes the post office's acquisition of the building as a quote-unquote divorce settlement. <laughs> where where the post office ended up owning the structure really by virtue of the fact that it was using most of the space, but the post office didn't pay anything for the structure, which became a significant point later on. Because as you're saying, the judges are feeling the pressure of some loss of space. One of the articles has a quote by Judge Holloway saying, space was at a premium, It was difficult to get arguments scheduled. How did it come to be that ultimately the building was eyed as a place the court wanted to return to? How did that come to be? And what role did you play in making that happen? You hit the genesis of the story then about how the building became that of the 10th Circuit uh, home. There were four of us who came on the court in the same year. And at that time, Judge Holloway had just taken over the chief judgeship from Judge Seth. Judge Taha and I, when we came on, they didn't have any place to put us because our courtrooms were still over across the street in the Byron Rogers building. Literally, Donnell and I became suite mates in which was not much bigger than a closet. I mean, they had a table in between us, and she sat at one end and I sat at the other. We just farmed our clerks out to anywhere where they could find a place to sit. We early on became complainers. (laughs) And of course, Judge Seymour, who had been there since 1979, I believe, she was very cognizant of the fact that we had no space. Judge Profilio, he came onto the court from the District Court of Colorado, 
and he was aware of what it meant to put the judges in Colorado out of space while we did our works. He knew we needed a home. The old expression, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We were the complainers, and we got appointed as the committee to see what could be done. So the head of the committee was Judge Seymour, and uh, Judge Taha and I and Judge Perfilio became the other three members of the committee. You were called the Committee of Four, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people thought we were more not better known as the Committee of Death. I mean, <laughs> because we we were on a mission. That's all, all I can say. And so <laughs> we were asking uh, the GSA because we had heard that the post office uh, was maybe going to build a new building. So we asked, well, could we have it? Well, we were told, but no, we couldn't have the building. Uh, Judge Anderson, he called Danell one night. He told Danell, he says, do you know what's going on in D.C. right now? And to know what's going on. He said, well, they're doing the markups. Possibly now would be a good time for the committee to become involved about asking Congress, could we have that building? Just for our listeners, can you explain Donnell is Donnell? Taha. Chief, she later became Chief Judge Taha for, for the Tenth Circuit. So you got to remember that the Tenth Circuit, the six states that are in the Tenth Circuit, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Utah. Now, at that time, our senators from our six states were probably the most powerful senators in the United States Senate at that time. We had Orna Hatch in Utah, Boren in Oklahoma, Domenici in New Mexico, Simpson in Wyoming, and Armstrong in Colorado, and Dole in Kansas. Now, well, and of course, Jeff Bingaman, who's senator, other senator from New Mexico, plus the senator from Arizona, uh, Senator Stevens, was a roommate of Chief Judge Holloway in undergrad. So we had we had some pretty powerful senators in regards to that, and they learned of our plight, uh, wanting a home. And I mean, this was done not in months or years. This was done in days. Um, that's what amazed people like that. And the post office owned that building. So we were going to have to take it away from them, get the and AO on board. And, and the bill got passed December the uh, 11th of 1987. Because we the can't. post office didn't want to give up the building, right? No, even though didn't. even though they were planning to build another post office building, right. they wanted something for it. Do you remember what they had asked for? Thirty million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they wanted was thirty million dollars. Well, make a long story short, I think it ended up around eleven or twelve million is how they resolved it. And GSA just say this is the way it's gonna be. Once we knew that Congress had approved that being our home through the GSA, we, we came back. We had to actually give them the, the legislation because they wouldn't believe us that we, that the building, that it was our, our building now through the GSA. Once we knew that it was going to be our home, they changed the name of the committee. We were then called the uh, Restoration Committee. So we no longer became the 
the committee of, of four mean guys, but uh, we became a restoration committee. And our planning with the architect, the Michael Barber Architecture Company of Denver, they really included us and we included ourselves in every detail of the construction and remodeling of So the renovation <laughs> had to change this place from post office to functioning courthouse and only yes. a courthouse. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Behind where the post office boxes were was just huge open space. And, and you can understand why the post office needed that space to be able to sort mail. So from behind that all the way to the back wall, we designed two courtrooms. The very back side belongs to the clerk's office and all of the people that work in the ceiling of the two courtrooms were two huge kind of glass structures. And then you got to remember in 1910 to 19, there was no air conditioning. So these structures were designed that you could kind of crank open. And that was how they circulated air through these big open spaces so that people just didn't die from heat exhaustion. It never worked, but anyway, that was the design of it. <laughs> Well, in our remodeling, we left them the way they were, but we used, again, a uh, tile. It would kind of be a sphere that would allow the, the light to come in so that even if the electricity went off, the lawyers could still see and we could still see and, and listen to the oral arguments. And, and that, again, too, is, is just beautiful, the, the design is. of that. It is, and it really warms the space, too, and just mm -hmm. in terms of the the feeling of having that natural light in there. I'd read somewhere that, I mean, there was such care taken to restore and try to replicate uh, when re restoration wasn't, wasn't possible, everything in the building, including light fixtures. I'd read that one person involved in the restoration actually found an original light fixture at a Colorado thrift shop. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Fortunately, we were able to gather some photos, even back at that time, that we could actually see what the light fixtures looked like. The story about supposedly finding that, yeah, that, that may have actually happened. We had to have competition because that kind of material wasn't being sold anymore. And to put it pretty much back like it was, they even scraped the paint down to the original paint, and that's how the walls, where we don't have wall covering, how the walls got back to their natural painting. In this building, the, the work that went into it was originally done. For example, the Tenth Circuit Court that was remodeled in, in the 1920s for the, after the Tenth Circuit came into being, they had a courtroom, it was a huge courtroom. Well, of course, in the GSA, came in and put another level floor on it. And we were at court one day and they came over hurriedly to get the committee and it scared us to death. We thought somebody had really gotten hurt or something. But when they were working on the ceiling where they had made a false ceiling, they knocked that ceiling down around that whole room were uh, names of lawgivers and the workers they knew how much this building meant to us. You would have thought that they had discovered King Tut's tomb. They were excited, elated. I mean, 
And the court also was given a, a mini library. This is on the second floor. And the woodwork in it, well, it was done by craftsmen. I mean, truly. It was a beautiful yes. little bitty library. I mean, it, the carvings are still there. They're fantastic. Is that the room with the eagle judge above the door? Yes, that's the one which they, they tell the story, which that when the eagle holding the, uh, the arrows and the palm, that when the eagle's head is facing toward the arrows, the uh, United States in a time of war or conflict, when it's facing the olive, then it's a time of peace. And that's all hand carved. My wow. goodness. And then the courtroom, the, what we call the historical courtroom, I found in Judge Seth's chambers a picture that showed the five judges at, at that time and what that courtroom looked like. So we were actually able to give a photo showing what the bench looked like. And our benches that the judges sat behind were actually rebuilt. And we found that, <laughs> that bench, and I believe it was Montana, used by the federal court. And we asked the Tenth Circuit if we could have it, and they told us no. <laughs> so, it sounds like this is a theme. <laughs> so anyway... We had the picture, and the uh, carpenters came in and rebuilt that. Looks just like it. Hearing about the renovation, it strikes me that this must have been a very expensive endeavor. Do you know what the bu <laughs> what the budget ultimately was? Yes. When uh, they did the prospectus, when we got the building back and the, the, the complete remodeling, the cost of remodeling uh, as near as both uh, Michael Barber and the GSA could figure it out it was going to be somewhere between 28 and $32 million. The GSA just screamed and hollered about the cost of it. In time, you have to remember, I believe it was 1988 or 89, we had the building. We were working on remodeling it. They were complaining about the cost. If you remember, there was a huge earthquake in San Francisco. Highways collapsed. As a matter of fact, it was supposed to be the start of the World Series that year. I mean, it just did millions of dollars worth of damage to that city and to those people. But the home of the Ninth Circuit, their courthouse was in San Francisco. And that earthquake, it didn't destroy that building. It, it moved it kind of cattywampus off its foundation. And of course, they were going to put it back, but then they had to comply with all the new codes and had to be built on these big springs so that the next earthquake, the building would just shake, but wouldn't get knocked off its foundation. The estimated cost of doing that for the Ninth Circuit was $119 million, if I remember correctly. And after that, we never heard any complaints about our building only going to cost between 28 and $30 million. And but it is a good thing that an additional $30 million did not need to be paid to purchase the building before those costs were incurred. That's right. Well, from memory, the estimated value of that building after what we remodeled it was in the $200-plus million. If we had to replace that, I'll bet it would be $500 million now. So, but that would so be truly a bargain, really, yes. all told. Right. And thanks to the Committee of Four, because without your work, that legislation would not have come about, which set the process by which the structure would be appraised, and the post office would need to honor that, right? Right. 
do you feel that there's a significance to courthouses? I think the answer to that is yes, and for several reasons. In years gone by, courtrooms were built largely, and, and I can remember when I started practicing law in 1960, that was a place of people going and just, I mean, they had no, what's the old, they had no dog in that hunt. They just went to watch to see how the courts were working. I, I remember seeing a lady sitting uh, behind the bar knitting and listening to the jury trial as it was going on. And uh, so number one, the availability to the public to come and see justice at work. That's the reason why courtrooms are open to the public is that you can go and watch. I think from the lawyer's standpoint at the appellate level, now not at the district court level, but at the appellate level, the lawyers get to be face-to-face with the judges who are going to be hearing that. And it's important for them to be able to tell their story Since our podcast is about stories or tales, I'm wondering what you feel the moral of the story is when it comes to the Byron White Courthouse. Well, the moral of the story is that justice and the law of this country is in good shape and that it's still available for people to see and to observe and even to complain if if they need be. And that building, if we know that right now it's going to last for a long time and people in the future are going to get to to see the beauty. That's right. And maybe they'll even be able to hear some of your comments today, Judge. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and share what you know about the courthouse and, and life in general. It's been an honor to chat with you. It's been my deep pleasure and thank you for your kindness. Today's episode was produced and edited by Tina Howell and contains original music by Brent Cohen. Special thanks to Stacey Guion, Greg Kerwin, Diane Bowersfield, Judge Baldock, and Linda Brown. I'm Leah Schwartz. See you next time. <laughs>